Amen. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Just let that soak in just a moment. Here we are about, what, three weeks out away from Easter, four weeks away from Easter. And it's funny how I was reading a, I was reading a devotion, how Easter just kind of gets the back seat somehow. Um, Christmas has all the hype and stuff, and of course it's partly because the world's bought into the secular side of Christmas. And honestly, there's not a whole lot of the secular side on Easter. You got the Easter bunny running around with some eggs, but the bottom line is it's a real, it's a spiritual holiday. Now listen, you got to be quiet tonight, okay? It's my girlfriend Sarah, she's talking to me. Let, let me turn her off. But you know, it's really a holiday that we celebrate what Jesus did. And so we got to really seize that and kind of put those words. I, I, I tell you this all the time. One, I'm one senior adult who loves music and I love the old hymns, but I love the new stuff too. This is one senior adult who just doesn't have a problem with both of them. And I loved some of the words. And these are words, you know, then came the morning that sealed the promise. You know, your very body began to believe. And imagine, Tyler, imagine with me, you know, the fact that the body was mutilated. I mean, it didn't all of a sudden when they put it in the grave and took it down and washed some of the blood off, the wounds didn't go away, the nails and the scourging and the crown of thorns, the holes made there, all that was still there. It was a mutilated body, and it began to breathe. It's kind of like the, the, the dry bones. It's kind of like when the dry bones took up life. Well, this was the dead body of Jesus Christ, and it began to breathe. And that's something to celebrate. Amen? It's something to celebrate. Well, unintentionally, but not. And uh, this is, you know, we're going through James on Sunday nights, and it just so happened that this scripture ties in what we talked about this morning. And if I was going to give Sunday night messages a title, it would be called The Tethered Life. The tethered life. I want to go back just for fun because it's such a beautiful verse um, to Hebrews two one, and I just want to read it. You don't even need to turn there. We're going to be in James one is where we're going. But listen to this is the New King James version. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed, the utmost attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. The, the author of Hebrews understood very clearly the danger of drifting away. And I, and I, I did something this morning, uh, not to be rude or crude or mean, but I challenge you to start looking around in our building. And, and you could go to First Baptist, you could go to, to McKinley, you could go to Little Chapel. It's true of all churches. There's an epidemic of drifting away today. You know, um, you know, when Paul talked about itching ears, when people aren't hearing what they want to hear, there's a tendency to drift away. But I challenge you every Sunday morning, just look around you and say, you know, I remember that spot used to be filled with that person. And you know, everybody goes on vacation, everybody does that kind of stuff. But when you, week after week those chairs are empty, it ought to prompt us to do two things. It ought to prompt us to make sure we're reaching out and caring. One of the things I love is that Carletta and Sheila and Marcia all go out on Thursdays and they visit people who just maybe haven't been to church in a while. And that's so key and that's so important. Um, and by the way, uh, you, I don't know, a lot of you probably don't open the app that we have now on, on, morning, on Sunday mornings, but there's a phrase I put in there that we always need to remember. I say in that little app, you need to know this is a safe place. You need to know this is a safe place. If there's a time for a hard discussion, it's not Sunday morning. 
If there's a time something needs to be said to an individual about something going on in their life, it's not Sunday morning. This needs to be a safe place. This needs to be a place where people can come and feel safe. So there's a couple things you need to know about drifting away is those empty chairs. One, we need to make sure those folks know we love them and it could happen to us. It could happen to us. We easily could find ourselves one of those ones that drift away. And that's why it's important we have a tether. I'm pretty sure if we could do an interview of dead people, we could find all the people who have drowned on Florida beaches with a riptide and say, you know, did you get up that morning planning on dying in a riptide and drowning? And they'd say, of course not. Of course not. And people don't plan to drift away. It just kind of happens. It just kind of happens. So how do you live a tethered life? Okay? And we find this in James chapter 1, starting in verse number 19. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Now we're going to hear this in the message tonight, but it needs to be said probably up front. And that is, in order to live the tethered life, you have to do what the Word says. Okay? You have to do what the Word says. Well, here's what James starts off and says. He says, brothers and sisters, and here, isn't that funny? Here's the word, understand this. Understand this. And in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said, therefore we must give the more earnest heed. So we need to understand, we need to pay attention, okay? So J- James says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Now, what he does is, he describes, and I really never even gave this a lot of thought until today when I was studying, you know, but he gives us a different kind of lifestyle. He goes, everyone, every, how many? Everyone, now keep in mind, he's talking to believers. He's not talking about Joe down the street. He's talking about believers, okay? Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Well, I'll just tell you the truth. Right back there. Carrie, you know, we were sitting there on the back row. You were standing. I was sitting next to Christy, okay? And you were talking about massages. And I did my best to interrupt you three times. You know? I I was trying to tell him, well, you know, I got a massage certificate, and it's sitting in my drawer. And that's what he was trying to say. And I was just talking all over him. You know why? (laughs) I wanted to talk more than listen. Amen? Amen? And James says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. What a different world it would be. What a different church we would have. What a different marriage you would probably have if we simply would learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then he says, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our culture is running uh, perpendicular, perpendicular to our faith. Like never before, I told you back in the 50s and early 60s, uh, the Judeo-Christian values, it wasn't hard to be a Christian, because society generally went along with what the Bible said in broad terms, in broad terms. Alright? Now, it's not happening. Now, society and culture is running perpendicular um, to us. And so consequently, it's very important because it's easy for us to get fired up. Fired up. It's awful easily for us to be slow to, or excuse me, quick to listen, but rather to be slow to listen. It's awful easy for us not to be slow to speak, but to be quick to speak. And too often, the things that come out of our mouth are simply ungodly. Are simply ungodly. And just like we're going to see in just a moment, it confuses the world. It confuses the world. And it's very easy for us to be quick to become Angry. 
Now listen, this is always true. This quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. It's true in our family. It's true in our marriages. It's true in our work relationships. It is true in our culture. When we are living in the world today, the most Jesus-like thing we can often be is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now look what he says about this angry deal. Because don't we want to get fired up? Don't you know whoever the left is? Don't we want to get fired of them? You know, tired, you know, fired up to them. And, you know, if 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 they happen to be the opposite party that we affiliate with, and let's just be honest, chances are that's Democrat. You know, then we sit there and we want to get fired up. Don't we want to kind of kind of take Nancy Pelosi and do something? I'm not sure what. At least put duct tape on her mouth. Of course, we kind of want to do that with Trump every once in a while, too. He'd be a greater president if he just wanted to keep his mouth shut and spin off the tweet button. He'd probably be a lot better. But however, however, here's what the Bible says. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So if we're going to see the culture change... If we're going to be a thermostat and not just a thermometer in the world, then we have got to understand that our way don't, doesn't work, God's does. I need an amen every once in a while, let you know I'm on track. Amen? Okay? Now, now here's, there's a couple examples. You know, I thought about, I, I thought about this one I'm going to use tonight, and it's Moses, but then I thought about Peter. You know, Peter was sitting there when they were arresting Jesus, and he whoops his sword out and was going to cut off. Well, first off, you understand something. You know, Peter was a bad swordsman. Because I promise you, he was not aiming for Marcus's ear. You know, if, if Peter had been a better shot, David, you know, Jesus would have performed brain surgery, you know, to fix the problem. As it was, all he had to do was touch an ear and put the ear back on. But Peter was acting in anger. And what does it say? Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So let's go back to Exodus 2, and let's look at Moses. Let's meet Moses in his moment of anger. He had several, by the way, but here's one of the first ones. In Exodus 2.11, the Bible simply says, Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. So what happens is, Moses sees an injustice. And he wants to respond to the injustice. In fact, you might say, when he says this, he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, it was a trigger point. Now, I don't know what your trigger point is, but we all have them. There's When something happens around us, and different people have different trigger points, there's a trigger point, and our mouth flies open, you know, our brain goes in gear you know, too quickly, we don't hit the pause button, and we say things and do things that are contrary to Jesus Christ. Now, our intentions might be good. Moses' intentions were good. He saw an injustice, but he responded in the wrong way. Angie, he responded in anger. See, and what does it say? Human anger does not accomplish God's purposes. Alright? So, so here we see him doing this, looking all over. Now watch this. Now you need to remember this. You just might as well write this. Get your little tattoo pen out and tattoo this on your hand. Because you're going to need it. Looking all around and seeing no one. Malarkey. How often have we done something stupid? We looked around and think no one's looking and we do a stupid sin thing. You know, no one's going to see, no one's going to know, no one's going to hear. Yeah, you better be careful, because someone is looking, and someone will see, and someone will hear. 
So looking and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead. See, he was a better swordsman than Peter was. He struck the Egyptian dead and then hit him in the sand. That's my way of getting it done. Keep in mind, anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So Moses sees this injustice. He takes upon himself to do it. Now we don't ever do. We don't ever do it God. Excuse me, our way, do we? We always do it God's way. We we see something we don't like in church. We never take it in our own hands. We never open up our mouths. We never do our own thing. Oh no, not us. Well, that's what happens when you do your thing. Well, it ain't done yet. I will. I entitled this little point now. Regret. Look at Exodus 2.13. The next day, he went out. And now he sees two Hebrews fighting. So first you got a, you got a, a man of the world and you got a Baptist. Now you got two Baptists fighting. That never happens. Okay, you got two Baptists fighting. So he goes out and he asks one of the, one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Okay, and that's, shoot, that'll preach right there. We get these fusses going on in church, and I don't know of any, by the way, but we got these fusses going on in church, and I think Jesus sometimes he'd walk up and say, Why are you attacking your neighbor? Well, who made, who made you a commander and judge? You know, isn't it funny how things haunt you? You know, who made you a commander and judge over us? Did you know this is going to haunt Moses, uh, Donnie, the rest of his life with the children of Israel? They're always challenging his leadership. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it goes back to this or it goes to them. I'm not sure which way. Probably the heart of the Israelites. But they were always challenging God and always challenging the leader. So it starts out here. Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied. Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Oh my goodness. He looked around and no one was watching. Well, somebody was watching. Somebody was watching. And it says that Moses then became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. Yes, Moses, that's exactly right. And when we take matters into our own hands, listen, there's always regrets and there's always consequences. Always regret. You remember that as a parent. You didn't remember that as a as a grandpa, grandma. You remember that as a deacon and a pastor and a trustee and a church member and a neighborhood member. You know, a lay person, a Christian out there. You need to remember that. You need to burn that into your heart. Well, let's see what happens. Two fifteen, Exodus two fifteen. So when Pharaoh heard about this, okay. He tried to kill Moses. Now, I find that a real paradox. Here's a guy that was raised in his home as a son, and we find out that he committed a murder. You know, I, I would say no big deal because you know. But Moses tried to kill, or excuse me, Pharaoh tried to kill Moses. How about that? So Moses, now watch. Here, this is going to make you feel better. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down at a well. Now, you know what that is? That's Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Well, Swain, how is that so? It's amazing that, you know where Moses was? In spite of his sin, in spite of his anger and the sin of murder, in spite of being called down and saying, yeah, you're going to kill me like you killed them other people? In spite of that, he's exactly where he needed to be. Isn't that amazing? Guess where God... You know know what God's going to do? He's going to spend 40 years getting Egypt out of Moses. 
And what better place than the backside of the desert in a place called Midian? Isn't that, so, isn't that the grace of God? See, isn't that great that God, God could have said, Well, Moses, I'm done with you. You, you, can't, you. you can't even control your temper and you expect me to let you lead my people? I don't think so. But that's not the way of God. That's not the way of grace. I'm glad He's the God of second chances. I'm glad He's the God of third chances and fourth chances. Some of us, we couldn't count how many chances. And in the process, when Moses ran, he probably thought he was running arbitrarily. No, no, no. He was running right into the arms of Almighty God. Come on, isn't that good? He ran smack dab in the place where God wanted him to be and where he would spend 40 years of God getting Egypt out of him, preparing him to lead the children of Israel. How about that? So even when we lose control and, and we're, and we're quick to speak and slow to listen and, and anger comes out of us and, and you know, and it doesn't accomplish the purpose of God, but we can't control ourselves, even with all that, God's not done with us. That's good enough. So live the tethered life. Be that controlled person. Be the one who's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Understanding that anger I know you're going to want to get angry at the world, get angry at situation, you get angry at frustrated, okay? Just keep in mind, anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Being like Jesus does. Okay? Alright, then, in James 2, or excuse me, 121a, therefore, James says, now, now he starts shifting to another phase of, of tethering, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So he's saying, in this world that we're you know, prone to wonder, prone to lead the God I love, as, as the song says, all right, in that kind of a setting, that kind of a world, he says, you, know, you need to rid yourself of moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. In other words, don't, don't one, if you've got something going on morally in your life that's questionable, you know, take it to God and say, God, this is going on and it's wrong. It's wrong. But also, be careful as you walk through the world that, you know, have y'all heard, do y'all have them little things up here that stick to your pants? I don't even know what we call them. You know, you walk through them, you know, Donna, and you look down and them things are sticking to your pants and you're pulling, what are they called? What are they called? Yeah, aren't they a pain? All right, well, did you know this? If we're not careful, as we go through a world, how did James put it? Of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, we got to be careful that as we journey through the world, that sin doesn't start sticking to us. Now, we listen, don't move to Montana and buy your white robe and go chant somewhere. We're in the world, but not of the world. Okay? But, but then, so be careful to rid yourself of moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, Colossians is just rich in this. Colossians chapter 3 is rich in this. Let me read it to you. It's Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Now, I wrote down, if you want to write something, if you're taking any notes, you know, write it down. Some of us need to hold a sin funeral. Now, you don't, listen, you don't need to go out and get your store your stuff place. You don't need to go down. Todd, you still got them rental places? Don't go see Todd and say, Hey, Todd, I need a place to store some of my sin. I really don't want them in my life anymore, but you know, I'm not ready to get rid of them yet. 
So don't go get you one of them storage places. Don't go to where you need room for your stuff and get one of them $4,000 sheds you can put in your backyard to store your sin in. We need to have a funeral. You know, we call Reeds and say, hey, Randy, we need to have us a sin funeral. You know, caution says, therefore, put to death. Get rid of it. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, by the way, which is idolatry. Those things need to die in our lives if we're going to live a tethered life. If we're going to, if we're going to get rid, of our, rid ourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, we need to have a sin funeral. But then he goes on in verses 6 and 7. Because, now watch this, watch this. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. So, so don't be guilty of doing things that God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the, the lost, the disobedient. Don't let that be a part of your life. In fact, you know, he goes further, Paul does, and says, And you once, you once walked in these things. Now, the implication is, you don't anymore. See, you once, you once walked in these things, the sexual immorality and impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, and uh, you used to do that. But since Jesus, you don't do that. You don't do that. So, so, you know, the implication, not now. So you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But not now. Not now, because you're a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower. Colossians 3a. But now, he goes a little further, but now put away um, all the following. Anger. Mm, that ties in with James. Wrath, that ties in with James. Malice, that ties in with James. Slander, slander. Filthy language from your mouth. All these things need to be put aside. And I'll tell you, it's a, now listen, listen. It's a constant deal. That's what we don't understand. Again, if you've ever, if you remember, if you've ever been in the ocean and you felt the power of the undercurrent, it's a constant pulling. It's a constant pulling. Understand the battle of the flesh and sin is a constant battle. A constant battle. But it's one that's already won. We just need to declare that in our lives that we have victory over sin. You know, Satan only has as much power as God allows him or we give him. So you just got to be careful of that. You just got to be careful of that. So then James moves on. This is, this is huge. This is huge in the tethered life. He says, look how he words it. Humbly receive. Like a needy child. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I love this word implanted. It's not, it's not, again, it's not like the little sins that I talked about that stick to our pants leg. It's like that. It's implanted. It becomes part of us. You know, often, often, you know, say this, you know, today I had lunch. And that lunch became part of me. It became part of me. When I took it home, if I took it home, I didn't take it home. But if I took it home, by the way, did y'all know I didn't eat lunch here today? I, I walked out going, I didn't eat. That's a sin. So I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say, Tiffany, hey, Tiffany, would you make me one of them lunches? And take it home and say, well, there's my lunch. It just sits on the counter. There's my lunch. No, 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 no. You know, I, in that sense, I had lunch, but I didn't have lunch. I don't have lunch until it moves from the counter into my tummy. And when that food gets a part of me, it gets in my cells. It gets moving part of me. Some of it gives me energy. Some of it gives me war- winter warmth. Okay? Alright? It, it does that. All that does that when it becomes a part of me. When it becomes implanted. Implanted. Okay? Now listen to me. Listen to me. We gotta quit hearing sermons and start applying sermons.
we got to quit reading the Word of God and applying the Word of God. That's how it gets implanted. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Here's Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Listen Colossians 3.16, the first part. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom. Psalm 119.11. And uh, Jim, you said this one. I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You implant the Word of God by meditating on the Word of God. You don't... Listen, listen, listen. You don't implant the Word of God by simply hearing the Word of God. You've got to implant it. You've got to apply it. You've got to put it into your life. Okay? Listen, it's, I don't know where, where this comes up in my sermon. I think it comes up right now. But you know, every year most of us listen to 100, 150 sermons a year. And then we'll read the Bible, let's say, 200, 250 days a year. Can I ask you a question? What change? <laughs> What's happening in our lives? And I'm going to tell you this, if we come, if we're, if, if we're three weaker workers, you know, three weaker, three weaker, if we go to church three times a week, okay, if we go to church three times a week, and if we read our Bible five out of seven days, and nothing's happening, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And what it is, we're not ingesting. It's, again, it's taking the lunch and putting it on the counter, and then wondering why we're still hungry. Why we're still hungry. We got to ingest the Word of God. So let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Put it in your heart, on your heart, that I might not sin against you. Make it part of who you are. James one twenty two says, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Don't be, be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. Too many followers of Christ are hearers and not doers. It's a one, it is a wonderful thing that you're here on a Sunday night. But again, why are you here? Are you here because it's the thing you do on Sunday night? Or you have a hunger in your heart for more of God and His Word implanted in your life? That's the right answer. It's a, it's a, it's a good moral thing. It's a great habit to go to church you know, two and three times a week. But let that Word get in us. Determine that it's going to be a part of who we are. You know, John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5, 3, For this is what love for God is. This is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden. They're not, they're not grievous. You know, um, here's some things we can do. In Psalm 119.15, we're called to focus. We're called to focus. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. That's how you become tethered. Uh, we can seek to understand. Psalm 119.27, Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Lord, help me to understand. Help me to remember Psalm 143, 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. We can worship uh, Psalm 1 and 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we've got to get the word into our hearts. You know, when you teach your children, you've got to get it into their hearts. 
You got to get it into their heart. And by the way, and you know this, this couple here knows this. You know, you live it before them, and it's amazing what they're see. See, the Christian life is taught and caught, taught and caught. And we do sometimes a pretty good job of teaching, but we're not contagious. You know, Tim. Every time I get the flu, Tim's one of my best friends. But when I got the flu, he's I don't want to be around you. You know, when I remember Africa, you about hurt my feelings. You know, hey Tim, I ain't hugging you. You had the flu. You know, listen, listen. We got to be contagious. We we got people saying in a good way. You know, I want what you got. You want your kids to crave Jesus. We want our neighbors to crave Jesus. We want our coworkers to crave Jesus. We want our families to crave Jesus. So then James winds it up and says this. It kind of answers the question. He says, because, this is verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're like someone who looks at his own face in a mirror. And for he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. And you know what he's talking about. You, you know, we men, we women do this. We look in the mirror. And you know, what if you looked in the mirror and your hair's all, you know, askew and, and you know, you got things out of your nose and, and you know, you ain't shaved and you know, and, and you look at it and you say, boy, that's a mess. Then you walk away. And you go to work and you forget what you saw. That's what people hear and don't do is, oh, that's what they're like, okay? Where he looks at himself and immediately goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. He winds up with this. But the one who looks intently into the perfect, perfect law of freedom. I love that law of freedom. This is not, look, look, look at me. This is not bondage. This is freedom. The world will tell you this is bondage. Satan will look you dead in the face and lie and tell you this is bondage. This is freedom. This is freedom. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres and hangs with it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If we'll look into it and persevere and be that doer, he'll be blessed in what he does. So the tethered life is one that's... Oh, this is good. The tethered life is one who's tethered to the Word of God. The one, the tethered life is a person, person who is tethered to the Word of God. Let me close with a little story I found on the internet talking about meditating on the Word of God, talking about the passion for the Word of God. And this story is a true story, and it's about a missionary that was serving in... Uh, it sounds like a short-term missionary, by the way, who was serving in Vietnam. So he says, a co-worker who was teaching Christian leaders in Vietnam shares this experience. A, a question came up. There's more to this, and I didn't include it. A second came up, a question came up, and, and it said, what does the Bible teach in Nahum 1-7? Okay, and by the way, the first question was, what does Obadiah 2-4 says? And the missionary's kind of going, don't call on me, I can't remember, I can't remember. And they saw him squirming in his seat, and the, the Vietnamese brother said, Obadiah only has one chapter, brother. <laughs> So, yeah, wasn't that bad? <laughs> yeah. Every time we have like a Bible drill, I'm so afraid they're going to say, let's let the pastor participate. All right? So the second question came, what does the Bible teach in Nahum 1-7? An elderly pastor in the front row raised his hand like an eager schoolchild. He then started quoting the scripture. The Lord is good, 
a strength in the day of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Well done, brother, said the leader. You may sit down now. But the elderly pastor was not finished yet. Please, he asked, may I continue? After a nod, he quoted the whole book of Nahum flawlessly. Now, you need to know something. They don't have Bibles. The story starts out with the teacher teaching, and they would raise his hand, and they'd say, Brother, is this you speaking or the Word of God? If, if he said Scripture, they would write it down, and that was their Bibles. Whatever Scripture they were given orally was their Bibles. And then they raise their hand, Is this you or the Bible speaking? This is me speaking. They put that book down and picked up another notebook and started writing in that notebook. But that was their Bibles. And this elderly pastor quoted the entire book of Nahum. Listen to this. I was also later introduced to another believer who came to know the Lord only during recent years. His passion for the Word of God is displayed in the fact that he has already memorized, are you ready? 78 chapters of the Bible. That's the tethering passion that we need for the Word of God. When the Word of God gets in us, it changes us. It changes us and keeps us tethered to God. Okay, let's pray. Well, Father, we sure thank you again for the opportunity to be back in your word tonight. Father, I pray you'll help us to be on guard against this drifting thing. Like the song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. Father, it's so easy to drift away. And we need you. We cannot fight this battle on our own. So I want to pray right now for the ones that are in this building, including myself. Father, that you'll make us so mindful that we'll give all the more attention to what we've heard, that we will not drift away. And God, if we have a tendency to pick up rocks when people drift, just remind us it could happen to anyone. Father, we'll never bring anybody back by stoning them but we can bring them back by loving them. So, Father, when we see at Walmart or at the gas station one of the brothers or sisters who used to come so faithfully, let us love them. That's what you would do. Let us love them. Keep us tethered tight, Lord. Keep us tied to you. And, Jesus, we pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen.